0: Well, the name of this message is like you're running out of time. Have you ever been in a situation where you were trying to meet a deadline and you just worked, had to work at a feverish pace? I would say any of us that have ever had to write a paper or an essay in high school or college may know what that feeling is. Some of you may be like, oh no, once the teacher assigned it, I went home and I got to work on it. And and some of you may just be awesome at time management. and. Uh, and, and you know, I, I had those those students at Lipscomb uh, working on my master's uh, in seminary, and and boy, as soon as they saw that there was a paper on the syllabus, even if this was last week of August and that paper wasn't due until, you know, the end of November, you know, they probably headed to the library after that first class meeting and started gathering their sources. You know, me, if it was due at the end of November, well, I'd started thinking about it about the middle of November that's just the way i operated you know it was just how i worked and then and so then Ed, you know as as the time draws near you're fo- focusing in the you're in the library and forcing yourself to write or whatever the project you might be working on whatever deadline you might be working on and you're just working at this feverish pace like you're running out of time and the 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 that title is actually borrowed from the musical Hamilton. Because there's a song in there where they're talking about, you know, the wife is, his wife is saying to Alexander, why do you always write like you're running out of time? And he was somebody who felt great urgency in what he was trying to accomplish. And so I want you to hang on to that thought, that idea of urgency in trying to accomplish the mission at hand. We're going to circle around back to that a bit later. But looking at Acts chapter 8, I want us to begin in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. From Isaiah 53, it's verses 7 and 8. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And of course, who is the subject of Isaiah 53, church? It's Jesus. Yeah. Oh, you can say it out loud. I hear people going, It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Yeah. We're in church. Who's the subject of Isaiah 53? Jesus. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Because, boy, if you can't say his name here, how in the world are you going to say it out there? Right? So, yeah. And so, isn't this, isn't this kind of a beautiful moment, Really? I mean, Philip, and again, we know, if you weren't here last week, this is not Philip the Apostle. This is Philip that was one of the Greek-speaking servants that was named earlier in the book of Acts to deal with the distribution of food in Jerusalem. And so uh, when the church begins uh, being persecuted after Stephen is stoned, The apostles remain in Jerusalem for a time, but everybody else scatters. And so Philip is one of these folks that scattered, and he went up to Samaria, as we discussed last week, and he he had quite a a campaign going. And then a couple of the apostles heard about it, and they left Jerusalem, went north into Samaria, and to, to kind of see what was going on. And so now Philip is told is told, Here, here's where I want you to go. And so we don't exactly know where he is because Samaria is north of Jerusalem and the desert road to Gaza led south of Jerusalem. Uh, if the official had been in Jerusalem, was heading home, he would have been south. So at some point, Philip had left Samaria and was somewhere else. It's one of those little details that the Bible doesn't give us every detail we want. That's just a reality. But Philip goes up to this person in a chariot. Now, it's important to understand a couple of things here. Anybody in a chariot in that day, it represents one of a couple of things. Either wealth or importance. Because chariots, they just weren't in every driveway. At this time, you know, if you think about, for those of you that have ever uh, taken an interest or followed history, you know, you go back to the early 1900s. For example, Uh, people for years and years and years had been riding horses, uh, horse-drawn carriages, wagons, buggies, etc. But the horse was the driving force. Therefore, we get, you know, horsepower, right? Even on an engine today, right, Billy Don? It's measured in horsepower. Uh, And so, uh, early 1900s, then comes the the gasoline combustion engine, and people are uh, driving around in horseless carriages, is what they were originally called, I believe. And so, but... Not everybody has one. Uh, There is a a John, John Wayne's last movie, I believe, was called The Shootist and an outstanding movie where uh, he is trying to f- put his affairs in order because he's been diagnosed with cancer. And, uh, but it depicts that time in American history very well because there are people still riding horses. There are people that are in their horseless carriages. But the fact, what I'm trying to say is not everybody had one. And so chariots of this day were were kind of the same way. Very few people in society could afford one or were important enough to be given one. And so so that tells us, it kind of confirms uh, what Luke is telling us, that this is an important high-ranking official. Now, he's been to Jerusalem to worship. So he is either uh, a proselyte, someone who has converted to Judaism, or he is someone who is considering doing so. But because he was not born Jewish, and because uh, Luke tells us that he's a eunuch, he would not have had full access to the temple at Jerusalem. That's just a reality. He, he could have gotten in the big front door, but he couldn't have gone terribly much farther. He was, in other words, he would have been made to feel like you don't 100% fit in here. You don't totally belong here. In other words, he might have felt like he was a little less than. Something else that he had that was hard to come by in this era. He had the scroll of Isaiah. Now this is something that if you unroll that thing, it's going to be like well over 30 feet long. I mean, look in your Bible at the length of Isaiah. Not something you're likely going to read in one setting. 66 chapters as it's divided up. And so this is a this is something that weighs you know quite a few pounds. This is a fairly hefty object he's got here. But he's he's got this scroll of Isaiah, and Philip does something that is incredibly important, and I don't want you to miss this this morning. When God's Spirit says go over there and talk to that person, what did he do, church? He went over there and he talked to that person. How many times does the spirit that dwells within each of us tell us, Hey, go talk to that person. Make them feel welcome. Go introduce yourself. Go to that person and see if they need any help. And what do we often do? We often defer to our sensibilities, right? We often defer to our nature. Not all of us are outgoing people. And so it might be a struggle to just walk up to a complete stranger and say, Hi, how are you doing? My name's Bob. And is there anything I could help you with? You look like you could use a hand there maybe or whatever the situation might call for. And so what do we do? We talk ourselves often out of why we should not go talk to that person. Well, they don't know me from Adam. That person, they, they don't need any help. They, they might be offended if I, if I ask if they need any help. And then we come up with all kinds of reasons to not go and do what God's Spirit has clearly laid on our heart to go and do and I gotta confess church I managed to pull that one off just in the last couple of weeks saw somebody out on the street late at night my dog barked at her and so it wasn't the most uh, convenient time to approach somebody But we did have a very brief conversation and then I went on my way. And I even thought, I need to go back out without the dog and check on her. Well, now I couldn't even tell you all the excuses that went through my head. But I didn't do it. I don't know what kingdom opportunity there might have been there. But I confess to you this morning, it was an opportunity missed if there was an opportunity there. Because I did not go back out and go find her. And so, Philip does exactly what he's asked to do. And it's not a simple situation. After all, the official is up in a chariot. And Luke tells us that he had to run up beside the chariot. Alright, he's got to do a little jogging here. Hey, how you doing? I hear you're reading something there. Do you understand what it means by chance? How can I if no one's here to explain it to me? I might be able to help you with that. I know a little something about that. Well, come on in. And so, there they are. And it's this beautiful moment, I think, because uh, of that point in which, in, in which He is... I mean, what other verses could better give you the oppor- opportunity to tell someone about Jesus? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, He did not open His mouth saying this guy is so awesome you know he tells us right here in his humiliation he was deprived of justice and the Ethiopian officials probably wondering why why didn't he open his mouth why didn't he defend himself and what an awesome opportunity for Philip to say you know they didn't kill him he willingly laid down his life for me and for you And we're told that he was able to tell him everything he needed to know. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And that right there, that part where Philip is suddenly kind of whisked away, that's one of those things that might make some of us a little unnerved. It's like, okay, what happened there? You know, it's like this kind of beam me up Scotty moment here in the first century. But we have to remember the power of God. Just as, as we see in Jesus after the resurrection, there are not one but at least two different times that the apostles are gathered in a locked room, we're specifically told. And Jesus appears. And then some people have tried to explain that and say, well, you know, he was basically a spirit at this point. No. No. Because what did he invite Thomas to do? Touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. Right? He was physical. Can we explain it? No. And I'm okay with that. Because I want to love and serve a God that is more powerful than me. I want to love and serve a God that do think, does things that I just simply can't explain with my human limitations. Frankly, I'm excited when God does stuff that just leaves me sort of, wow! And if you look for the moments in life, you will see that God still wows us. And so here we are, a servant who is obedient to God's Spirit, and goes and runs up. Kind of awkward there, right? Because when God's Spirit asks us to do something, it says, go, go talk to that person, go, go do that. We often say oh that's not exactly convenient or I don't know Lord that, that'll be a little awkward I gotta run up beside this important guy in a chariot and I don't have a chariot but no he went up to him obedient to God's spirit and told him about Jesus and the Ethiopian eunuch doesn't seem to be bothered whatsoever does he that Philip just disappears. Because he does what? He goes on his way rejoicing. And that's what we need to be about. That's what our gatherings need to be about. We need to be people who are happy to be here. We need to be people who are eager to rejoice. Eager to say, thank you God. In a few minutes we're going to sing a song. I love this song. I like that we often close our assemblies with it. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Because it's an upbeat, happy song. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. And that's what we have to be about. Every moment of our day. Okay. Yes, that's a challenge, isn't it? Because some of the moments of our day, we're sad. Some of the moments of our days, we're frustrated. Some of the moments of our days, we're overwhelmed. Some of the moments of our days, we're confused. And I could go on and on with the different challenges and the different emotions that we face on a day-to-day basis. But let's be people that through all that find a way at the end of the day to rejoice because God is on the throne. Earlier I mentioned one of our founding fathers. He's on the $10 bill, Alexander Hamilton. And uh, I have mentioned the musical Hamilton a couple of times previously when preaching. Uh, looking at that musical through my christian lens i find lots of cool stuff there but as to this song where his wife is urging him to hey come hang out with your family come be a dad come come and just you know be in the moment why are you working so long hours all the time why do you write like you're running out of time? The Federalist Papers, you might have studied those in U.S. history. Alexander and uh, two other uh, founding fathers, John Jay and James Madison, all came together. And, uh, and they were urging uh, people to... Uh, Uh, to ratify the Constitution, uh, to, to forge ahead and figure this out and let's get this ratified so that our new nation has a Constitution that will guide us through history. And it's interesting that they started out with the idea of, okay, we're going to anonymously write these 25 essays. And uh, Madison wrote 29, John Jay wrote 5 of them, Alexander wrote 51. 51 of what became 85 essays, now, now known as the Federalist Papers. Supreme Court justices, when they are trying to interpret the Constitution to vote on a case that has come before them, still to this day use the Federalist Papers as a way of interpreting the U.S. Constitution. And so this was a guy on a mission. And so he understood urgency and he died at a young age and so it was a good thing that he wrote like he was running out of time for the sake of our nation. But something that is lost on us today, and this is what I'm going to close with today, is that we as children of God have largely lost the urgency to tell others about Jesus. And church family, that's something we have got to figure out a way to get better at. And if you have any suggestions on that front, I would be open to hear it. I was going to do a series this fall, uh, an early part of the fall, uh, about personal evangelism. I don't know if I'm still going to do that or not. It largely depends on if we're together or what the early fall looks like. I don't know. It may need to wait for a bit. God will guide me in that. I know He will. But, we need to be people who understand that we don't know the hour, do we? We don't know how much time we have left. We don't know how much time until Jesus returns. Because once that happens, there's no putting it off. Once that happens... Then it's only, wow, I wish I had told that person, that coworker, that neighbor, that relative, that friend from high school. I wish I had talked to them about their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because at that point, church family, it is simply too late. And so I urge you to be people who start talking about Jesus more often. People who are obedient to God's Spirit more often. And as I've confessed in this message, it goes for me too. But that we start acting a bit more like we're meeting a deadline. A bit more like we are running out of time. Because what we've been really good about is having a relationship with God ourselves. What we're not very good about as a whole is letting other people know the good news of Jesus. I am convinced that when this gentleman got back to his home that he told other people about Jesus. He told people about a guy who ran up to his chariot while he was reading a scroll and who explained him exactly who explained to him exactly who the prophet was talking about. That this wasn't someone who sought justice instead he sought to redeem humanity from their sin. Wow! What a message it is. It is the greatest story ever told. So let's do what we can, church, to keep that story going, to tell it. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't have a seminary degree. None of the apostles did. They were common people. It is a story that can be understood by common people. It is a story that can be Relayed and retold by common people. Because it is a story that tells everyone you're not less than. You are part of. And that makes all the difference in the world. If you are with us this morning...